a sermon series called Tougher Than Hell. And so um, <laughs> basically that's the kind of church that God is making. It's the kind of church that Jesus Christ promised to build. In Matthew um, chapter 16, verse 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell or the kingdom of hell, the powers of hell will not prevail against it, will not conquer it, will not overcome it. And uh, I think it's the, uh, the, the New Living Translation that says will not um, overpower it. And so within that statement, Jesus is making a promise. He's, he's giving us a promise that his church is going to last, that his church is going to survive the storm, uh, his church is going to make it. And that's good um, for the, the promise, but it, there's also a, a, a prediction. <laughs> and the prediction is that all of hell is actually going to come against his church. That uh, if you decide to start following God, if you decide to start doing anything good in life, I mean, just decide to have a good marriage or raise good kids. I mean, it doesn't matter what, what kind of good you might decide in your life. You're going to encounter some resistance. And especially if you've decided to follow Jesus, all of hell has put a target on your back. Uh, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will come against it, but it will not be able to overpower it. And uh, the reason that the gates of hell, the powers of hell, will not be able to overpower the church is not because God's going to save us from the powers of hell, but rather because of the way in which he is going to build his church. He's going to prepare his church and build his church in such a way that she is strong enough to withstand um, all of the forces uh, of hell that the enemy will bring against us. And so our main text is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 37, um, where the Apostle Paul kind of lists out a number of the ways in which all of hell comes against us. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, that's what we talked about the first week, that there's a who behind the what. Uh, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on to list a bunch of things. He says, shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37 says, yet in all of these things, in the middle of all of these things, yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We talked about last week what that means to be more than a conqueror. Uh, the original word there is hyper-conqueror, um, above and beyond conqueror. Uh, that, that to conquer is to, is to render an enemy useless, but to over-conquer is to not only render the enemy useless, but then to force the enemy to become your slave. So that all of these things that are coming against us, tribulation, uh, persecution, distress, famine, nakedness, all of these things, all of these ways in which the enemy is trying to separate us from the love of God uh, end up working for our good. That those things which are working uh, on us end up working for us. And, and this is what we talked about last week, that, that God, not, he doesn't just turn around things. He doesn't, he doesn't just come in the middle, but rather he is there from the very beginning and he is intending to use uh, these things as tools to build his Church, And so the first one that the Apostle Paul lists is, he says, tribulation. Shall tribulation separate us from the love of God? 
tribulation. The word tribulation is a it's a kind of a churchy word that's thrown around a lot. It basically means pressing or pressure or to or to press on both sides or to press down upon it. It, it, it it's pressure. <laughs> and if and, and, and if you've walked with God for any amount of time, uh, you know that the enemy loves to bring pressure into our lives. Pressure uh, to do the right thing, pressure to not do the wrong thing, pressure to make the right choices, pressure to be in the right place, pressure to have the right job. It's just constant pressure, constant um, pressure and resistance pressing us away from God. His purpose, the purpose of pressure is to separate us from the love of God. So the enemy will bring pressure into our life with the purpose of separating us from the love of God. Now he knows he cannot stop God from loving us. He knows he cannot stop stop Christ from loving us. So his purpose is to cut off our our reception of that love, cut off the access to break, to crack, to fracture our access to the love of God. And that's what pressure is there for. That's why the enemy brings uh, pressure. I, over the last 36 hours, we've had a lot of wind pressure. I don't know what it's been like at your house, but good Lord, we've had... Uh, I mean, yesterday it was like 12 hours straight of nothing but like 40 to 50 to 60 at times 70 mile an hour winds shaking our house, shaking everything. Um, like the flag, the, the, the American flag outside of, outside of um, uh, it's, it's, uh, Main Street, Buda, 35, uh, I-35 and Main Street. It's, I mean, it's torn to shreds. It's like ripped all the way back to the stars. <laughs> it's normally in perfect condition, but it's just constant pressure. The, the sign, I, I noticed a sign from A-plus Credit Union right there by, by, the, uh, by Starbucks, where I stopped earlier today, uh, is complete, the face of it is completely ripped off. <laughs> it's just from constant pressure. It's amazing how, yeah, the gusts of life, the big things, they can be difficult, but sometimes it's just the it's the accumulated effect of constant pressure that ends up breaking us down and cracking our connection to Christ. Um, it's powerful stuff, and it's a powerful tool because it's just it's 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 sometimes there's the big things, but then it's just the con the consistency of the little things that just wears us down. The purpose of pressure. Um, from the from the enemy's perspective, is to separate us from the love of God. But within the pressure, there is also power in the pressure that that comes from God. That God desires for pressure to be applied to our life, in order to bring power, staying power into our lives. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of a concept called Triz Forty. Triz T R I Z. Um, each letter, T-R-I-Z, each letter stands for a different um, uh, Russian word that I can't pronounce, uh, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, the inventor of it is a guy by the name of Genrich uh, Altschuler. I probably slaughtered his name. A Russian dude who basically theorized that all of life um, has primarily 40 different problems. And so he came up with 40 basic solutions to these 40 basic problems. It's it's especially used, uh, TRIZ is, is especially used in engineering classes and, uh, and, and college, but uh, it's quite interesting to, sort of to apply his engineering brain um, to everyday life. It's kind of it's interesting. He, uh, uh, in TRIZ number nine, 
uh, he has different um, he has different uh, uh, principles, and in the ninth principle there's something called uh, preliminary anti action. Preliminary anti action, and I just like to read to you the concept or the principle of preliminary anti action because I think this is one of the things that God does in our life with pressure. He allows pressure. The, the enemy's purpose is to bring separation uh, and to bring a strain, right, on on our relationship with Christ. But but God allows pressure. I think as a part of what uh, Gingrich uh, would call preliminary anti action. Uh, and the definition of preliminary anti action is to create beforehand uh, stresses in an object that will oppose known undesirable working stresses later on. So, so I'll read that again. To create beforehand stresses in an object that will oppose known undesirable working stresses later on. Sort of a classic example of this is um, pre shrunk jeans. Right, so when I was a kid, you go uh, to J.C. Penney and buy some jeans, and you try them on, and you know that well, you need to get them a little bit big because after you take them home, put them in the wash and the dryer, um, they're going to shrink, and you just kind of know that. So you sort of guess the fit, like is just is it's a, a total guesswork. But somewhere along the way, somebody said, "Hey, why don't we pre-shrink jeans? Why don't we put?" jeans through the process that they're going to go through anyway, put them through the process before they actually get to the product, but actually put them through the process of shrinking before they get to the product stage. And so now you can try in a pair of jeans and you know whether or not they're going to fit because uh, they've already been pre-shrunk. And uh, that's kind of a really simple um, observation of this preliminary anti-action that sometimes God in the process of our development will put us through stresses that prepare us for the stresses that are coming up down the road, for the undesirable, as it's called, undesirable stresses, working stresses later on. Uh, a really good example of this is pre-stressed concrete. So um, I don't know if any of, you, any of you have ever worked with concrete. We've owned a few homes in our time, uh, especially here in central Texas. And one problem that you always have, especially on the east side of 35, is that the structure, uh, the, the foundation of homes will crack. Um, and that's because uh, cement, uh, albeit strong, sturdy, heavy, is also very rigid. It's not very flexible. So if you pour some cement, like back in the old days, back in the 70s, um, the house that uh, we have on our current property was poured in the 70s, and you would you would just you would just have like um, you know wood uh, wood frame around the outside, and you would pour this slab, the cement, and just let it set, and then build your house on it. Well, obviously, a lot of pressure is going down on that cement, a lot of weight, and on top and, and on on top of the cement is all of this pressure and weight, but underneath the cement is a soil that's constantly flexing, right? So the, you, we, we we get a lot of rain, like like today. And the past few days and and it just swells the soil swells and then and then it won't rain for like 70 years in texas and then the soil will shrink back down and there'll be cracks throughout the soil well this causes a, an immense amount of stress on the foundation and it begins to crack because it's so rigid and so over time people decided that we needed to reinforce concrete 
uh, put rebar in it, right? And so you, you, you reinforce and then even double reinforce, and that does help uh, create a, a stronger foundation, absolutely, when you reinforce it by putting rebar in. Um, because it gives it gives some it gives it something to hold on to, right? Uh, so there's some continue some continuity between one side of the slab and the other side of the slab. These these thick beams of rebar holding holding it together, and that's reinforced. And I think oftentimes this is the way that we approach the Christian life, though. We approach life in general. We know that stresses are coming. We know that the weight is coming, and we know that 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 the soil is flexing. Um, and so we try to reinforce it, right? We try to put some solid things in our lives, some, some things like church attendance, some things like prayer occasionally, a uh, good scripture to be able to hold on to. And it does provide some stability. The problem is uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not real weight. It's not the real weight that God intends for us to be able to carry. Uh, if you're driving down the freeway here in Texas and you look out, and you see some highways that, that are elevated, you know, 100, 200 feet above the ground. There are these massive columns of cement. Uh, oftentimes under bridges, there's these arcing um, cement columns. And you wonder how in the world can the, those pieces of cement handle, I mean, semis driving on them every day, the, the winds of, 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 of a hurricane, the weight and, and the flexing of the soil, and yet they don't crack. Well, the reason why they don't crack is because those are what are called pre-stressed um, concrete slabs, pre-stressed concrete. And the way that you make pre-stressed concrete is uh, you, you have this machine, this massive mold, and, and throughout the center of the mold there are these different cables, like really thick cables, and this machine uh, clamps on the cables and, and stretches the cables uh, just stretches, and the kind of power it takes to stretch these cables is ridiculous. Uh, it's so dangerous, everybody has to be out of the way. Uh, and it just stretches these cables. And uh, it's just interesting to me how the same thing that creates strain in our life it, it also creates stretching. That stretching creates strain, and that strain is uncomfortable, and that strain is not, is not favorable. And we would rather not have a season of stretching, and yet I think sometimes God uses the pressure of life to, 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 to stretch us. Now, the enemy is trying to strain us in order to fracture our relationship with God, and yet God allows the enemy to, to do that because it is within the stretching that something else is being created. The stretching, yes, yes, it does create strain, and it does risk the snapping of, the, of, of our faith, but God allows the stretching of our faith, the stretching of our schedules, the stretching of our finances in order to create something else. Uh, with a pre-stressed concrete slab, you don't just have reinforced concrete you have you have these beams these massive cables that have been stretched and then they are the tension is held as the concrete is poured and the concrete sets and it and it, and it levels and it hardens and after it's completely hardened then they come along and they buzz saw off the ends of those of those cables and what happens is all of that that pressure all of the energy that comes from the stretching of the cables suddenly goes back into the structure it goes back into the cement. And so that's why those massive beams are able to hold up the freeway without cracking because they literally have active tension, active energy pressing in them. <laughs> and so there is a press on them. 
but the press on them is not nearly as powerful as the press in them. And this is what I feel like God is doing in many of our lives. He is He is putting us uh, in a preparation stage where where there is such a press in us that He is doing. And 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 I can just imagine. I mean, if you are those. If you can imagine for a moment that you are uh, those, those, those cables and you're being stretched and you don't even understand why because you're just in a factory and there's cement being poured on you, but why the stretching? I mean, isn't reinforcement enough? Why, why does there have to be all of this pressure, this tribulation? Why does there have to be this pushing and this pulling inside of me, right? There's no point to it. There's no and all and so many times we just end up blaming the devil. Well, the devil's just messing with my life, and I just don't. And somebody, you know, and we get on every prayer list possible so that so that our life can get comfortable again, because we don't like this. But so often, what is what is a weapon in the hand of your enemy is is also a tool in the hand of your God, and so God will allow that stretching. And even oversee that stretching so that you don't snap, but that you feel like you are about to. And it is within that moment that he's doing something. He is creating, he's creating a tribulation, a pressing inside of you so that you will be able to handle the tribulation or the pressing outside of you. And, and this brings me to my third point. My first point was the purpose I got, I got all peace today because I had time to think. Uh, the first point was the purpose of the pressure. The second point is the power in the pressure. Um, but the third point is uh, the point of pressure, the pressure point, the, the place of pressure, the greatest place where God allows this pressure to take place. And it is within us. That just like those concrete, those reinforced concrete slabs, you have this, this pull on the inside. You have this counter pressure, this preliminary anti-action that God does inside of us in order to prepare us for where we are going. And so if you're in the middle of a stretching season, if you're in the middle of a pulling season and you feel like this is pointless, you feel like this is just the devil messing with your head, look, let me encourage you. It, it has less to do with where you are, the factory that you are sitting in right now, has more to do with where you are going, with, where, with what God has prepared for you. That God is right now creating tension inside of you so that you'll be able to handle the tension that's coming outside of you. And this is what he does. He, he sets up moments of preparation. He does preliminary anti-action all the time inside of us because he sees what's down the road. He sees what's coming. And, 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 and it's so important that we, that we submit to that. And the point of the pressure, the, the, the pressure point in our life, you've heard of pressure points in your body. Well, the pressure point of your soul is your pride, is my pride. It is that thing inside of us that the Bible calls the flesh. Uh, the flesh means the, your, your pride or your inner um, sinful self that just wants to do what it wants to do. Um, Galatians 2.20, um, Paul said, I have, I have been, past tense, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, nevertheless, I live. In other words, well, I haven't physically actually been nailed to a cross with him, but, but, but something inside of me has been crucified with him. Something inside me has died with Christ. When I see the cross of Jesus, something inside of me identifies with that death. And it is my flesh. In fact, Romans 8 talks about putting to death 
um, um, the desires of the flesh and the activity of the flesh. And, and then the flesh is just simply your pride. It's my pride. It's that part of me that, that wants to rule and to reign, that wants to be in charge. And uh, in, in Galatians 2.20, it says that we must be crucified with Christ. We have to put that to death. We have to allow that thing inside of us to die on the cross with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the perfect example of how to die, right? He, he stretched up on the cross and he said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. And this is so important because uh, so often people come to me as a pastor and say, you know, I'm just praying that God takes away, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever, my, 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 my alcohol addiction. I'm just praying that God takes away my desire to uh, do this or do that or watch that or watch that, you know, and, and, and that's a fine prayer, I guess, but it's not a very effective prayer because that's not generally how the flesh dies. God doesn't take these things away. Jesus said, no man takes my no man kills no man takes away my flesh i have to lay it down and this is true for each and every one of us we if we're going to die uh to the flesh we're going to have to lay down our lives and this is the point this is the stress of pressure this is what god is trying to get at this is why he allows the stretching and the pulling within us so that we can get to a place where we are ready to lay down our agenda, lay down our goals, lay down our money, lay down our family, lay down our uh, possessions, lay down everything that's important to us in order that, that he might live through us. And that's, that sounds good and it sounds nice. And so, it, you know, it, it kind of works for, uh, for preaching because people hear that and they say, okay, yes, I can understand that. But, but to actually do it is where the difficulty lies. Uh, in fact, the difficulty was so great for Jesus. Uh, uh, he, you know, he gives us the example of being, yes, crucified on a hill called Golgotha. But how he was able to do that was not on Golgotha. It was on another hill in a garden called Gethsemane. So Gethsemane always precedes Golgotha. It is in Gethsemane that Jesus is alone, that Jesus is sweating drops of blood, massive, talk about pressure. Actually, the word Gethsemane means to press. <laughs> and so he's in that pressing place. He's in that pressure. And pressure and pressing is always personal. It's never public. He's, he's, and it is there that he is pressed in on every side, that he is under the weight of the, of, the, of the cup that he is being asked to drink of. And it is at that place that he says, not my will, but your will be done. He's leaving us an example for how we can go through the pressing. For the, the point of the pressing is that we would submit our will to the will of God. Uh, there's an old book called Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, I'd like to leave you with, with a little story from Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is one of the oldest, man, one of the oldest Christian books in publication today. It's like 400 years old or something. Uh, it's an it's allegory. Uh, if you haven't read it, um, I would recommend the kids' version because uh, that's easy to understand. It's like a bunch of these and thous and things like that. Um, it was written, like I say, a while ago. And uh, it's an allegory about the Christian life. And there's this guy named Pilgrim, and he, um, he's born in the city of destruction or sin or something. Anyway, just like all of us. And uh, he meets a guy named Evangelist 
who uh, you know leads him out of that city and 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 sets him off on a journey toward uh, heaven, basically. I forget the celestial kingdom or something. And uh, it's been a while since I've read it, but I, I remember there was this one point in the story where he comes up to a gate, right? And um, he he sees this gate, and there's a scripture on the gate, I think, um, from Jesus, where Jesus said, "I am the gate. Anyone who comes in through me will find life." Um, but whoever sneaks over the wall is a thief, and things aren't going to work out too well for, for that guy. That's uh, the Harry paraphrase. But uh, he reads that scripture, and he says, okay, I'm going to go through the gate. He goes through the gate. I, at the beginning of the gate, is kind of difficult. Uphill, it's real narrow. There's like a wall, walls on each side of, of the path, and he's struggling up the path and doing his best. And uh, after a while, he comes to a bit of a sort of flat surface, and he's walking more easily and uh, kind of just, just moving along. And that's when he notices that a couple guys um, are climbing over the fence, the, the, the wall, you know, and they're stumbling over the wall. And the first guy to stumble over the wall is a guy, um, of course, because it's a parable, his name is Hypocrite. Um, so every, every name is kind of what, what they are. And uh, if you're at City Chapel, um, you've probably met this guy, the hypocrite. In fact, if you're at any church, <laughs> you have met this guy, the hypocrite. And uh, uh, I, I, I can say that because they are everywhere. And honestly, hypocrites often get a really bad rap. It's like people are like, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite. Um, you know, as if like hypocrites are going to get the bottom bunk in hell. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not the way it works. Uh, uh, the, the, the hypocrite is somebody who is trying, right, who is trying to follow Jesus, who's trying to be on the right path. They really want to be on the right path. The problem is they just didn't want to go through the difficult part in the beginning. So Mr. Hypocrite, you know, he, he, he kept an eye on where the path was, found an easy spot to climb the wall and join the journey. Now, Pilgrim starts talking to the hypocrite. He's like, you know, I don't know if you're going to be allowed into the celestial kingdom because you didn't come in through the right way. And the hypocrite's like, no, 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 it's fine because I'm on the path. And, 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 and so that's, that's the heart, though, of the hypocrite. I, I, I think in, within the Christian world and, and as you come into the church, um, there's two main temptations. These two guys stumbling over the wall. The first temptation is the temptation of hypocrisy that uh, the, the, the spirit of, of hypocrisy is not you know, just this big evil person. Uh, it's really just somebody who's trying to shortcut the difficult stuff, who's skipping Gethsemane and rushing right to Gal Galgotha. That's what the hypocrite does. So if you're a hypocrite today and you're watching, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but really seriously, you can't skip Gethsemane. Uh, you, you can't just run straight to Golgotha, jump up on the cross, get crucified. Because the, 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 the thing about it is like, like the hypocrite walks into church and suddenly everything's sort of upside down, right? Like in the world, it was all about prestige. It was all about um, making, making a name for yourself. But here in the church, people really think you're pretty cool if you're selfless and if you're giving and if you're, and if you're gifted. And, 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 and so the same, the same uh, ego, the same pride that is fed in the world from being the top dog is now fed from being the top servant. And so, and so hypocrites are often scared of compliments, you know, oh, no, 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 it was all Jesus, wasn't me at all. Um, you know, because, because they, they feel that there's so much power in the compliments. And so they're scared of that because they want to make sure everybody knows that they're dead. You know, I am definitely dead to the flesh. I'm definitely dead to the flesh. I'm up here on the cross. Look at me. And they, you know, they drop their head, but occasionally they sort of pick their head up a little bit just to see who's looking, you know, <laughs> because 
they cannot help but really truly be concerned about what other people think and about how other people see them along this journey because their main goal is to be far along the path. Their main goal is to get up on the cross and die and then just, just give my life for God. And here I am just completely giving my life over to God. But the problem is they've skipped Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is a private place. Uh, the Bible says that when Jesus died that he um, lifted up his voice. Uh, he said, it is finished. And then he, he lowered his head. What that means is to lower your head. Like when you're, when you're hanging on a cross in crucifixion, you don't, you don't die from lack of loss of blood. You don't die from trauma. You die from asphyxiation. You die because you suffocate because your body slowly slump, slumps down the cross and, and your, your lungs are compressed and you can't get any air. And so the way you stay alive on the cross is to slowly pull yourself agonizingly, pull yourself up, take a breath, and then lower back down. Well, the Bible said that Jesus lowered his head. He said, it is finished. And then he lowered his head. So he chose not to come up for air. How can you do that? How can you, how can you, how can you be capable of coming up for air, but choose not to? Well, from Gethsemane, he had already decided to die before he ever got to Golgotha. That's what Gethsemane does. Gethsemane crucifies you it creates that tension on the inside that pressing on the inside that no matter what comes against me i i am already dead jesus didn't die on golgotha he died in gethsemane when they nailed jesus to the cross in golgotha they were nailing a dead man to a cross we see when you're dead you have no future plans because you've surrendered them all you have no past regrets because it doesn't matter you can't change it anyway and your only goal right now in the present is to be completely obedient to God and so when Jesus was crucified they were crucifying a dead man he was already dead because you die in Gethsemane you always die in private you will not die in public and so dear hypocrite you're up there hanging and you're asking you're trying to figure out how can I die to the flesh you cannot die in public you have to get down off the cross you have to go back to a place of privacy a place of secrecy nobody writes books about this nobody even preaches about their time in Gethsemane even Jesus had to do it alone he tried to get some people to come with him and they wouldn't come with him because that place is a place that is so agonizing, that is so, is so crushing, the pressure is so intense, the drops of blood are being sweated, and, and, and it is in that place that the inside pressure, the pull, the inside uh, torque that God wants to do within you that holds you together uh, when you actually reach Golgotha. And so the first is hypocrisy. This will stop you. Uh, from experiencing the point of pressure because it'll skip it'll skip it'll skip that private place but the second one is is a guy named formalist he climbs over the wall and he's named formalist um, i think that that means basically he's looking for a formula i see this a lot people stepping into the church and they want they want a checklist and they want a three-day conference and they want they want two songs in an altar call or they want uh you know seven steps to financial freedom or four easy steps to laying down your life and what blah 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 and they're looking for a process so they can quickly check things off the list and get to where they want to go without waiting all of that time and yet part of the process is waiting 
part of the process of 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 the cement being stretched, you know, the, the cords being stretched within the cement is number one, just simply stretching without any cement, then pouring cement, letting the cement dry, letting it come to a place, cutting it off. It, there's this long process that God wants to take you through. And if you short circuit the process, you will uh, compromise the product. You, you, you will not be able to withstand the pressure of what's coming at you if you rush to get to that place. And so my, my, my admonishment to you is, is to be patient, to wait for God to do in you what he wants, to, for God to finish the work inside of you before you jump out there to, to be used, for God to do something through you. He has to do something within you before he can do something through you. And the something within you that he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to crucify the flesh inside of each and every one of us. He wants to get rid of our pride, our agenda, uh, what we think is so important, what we think is so necessary, anything other than Christ. And the truth is you can live for quite a while um, on the cross. You can keep pulling yourself up for air. <laughs> you can keep <sighs> and uh, just surviving. Uh, the thieves that died next to Jesus, the thieves, they lived for, for hours until finally um, the Roman soldiers broke their legs so that they wouldn't be able to pull themselves up anymore. Uh, and they checked to see if Jesus was dead because they thought maybe he was faking. <laughs> because you can live for long. You can live for years. You can go to church for years. You can listen to sermons for years. You can educate the flesh so much. <laughs> you can inspire the flesh so much. You know, you can teach new habits to the flesh all the time. I mean, you can, you can survive in church, quote, following God and still come up for air occasionally, like when no one's looking or like when no one can see or you, you, you can still keep the flesh alive. And my admonishment to you is that, is that this, this, this up and down Christianity, this come, coming up for air Christianity has got to end. We have to come to a place where we, where we completely die. You say, well, how do I, how do I do that? Well, uh, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. So it's that part of crucifixion where we lower our head, where we choose to not give any oxygen to the flesh, where we choose to never allow. You know, like I could defend myself, but I won't. I could uh, fight back, but I won't. I could uh, progress my own agenda, but I choose not to. I could act on my own intuition, but I choose not to. I, I could provide for myself, but I, I choose not to. Because every time we lift ourselves up, we are prolonging this agonizing death. We are, we are missing out on the joy of resurrection every time we prolong this agony. I was talking to, to Madden the other day. I took her out on a date. Um, Madden's my eight, goodness, eight and a half now eight and a half year old daughter we were going she wanted to go to the mall and um so it was a bit of a drive to barton barton creek mall so we're driving and she, she uh we're, we're we're playing the would you rather game and uh i i i asked her um would you rather be the richest person in the world uh, or the strongest person in the world and uh she answered quickly oh definitely the strongest <laughs> what why? And so, you know, we get, it's, it's a great conversation starter. I said, well, heck, I'd rather be the richest person in the world because then I can hire bodyguards to protect me. And, you know, I don't have to be so strong. And she said, but dad, God is our, God is our protector. I said, 
said, well, yeah, yeah okay, that's true. Uh, I said, but, you know, if we're going to go all religious, we, I would buy a church building for City Chapel. How awesome would that be? She, she thought that was great. And she also said, and we could buy a V-Dub commie van for mom. Um, for those of you that know Roe, her dream car is a 70s V-Dub, not the 80s version, the 70s V-Dub commie version, uh, orange with the white stripe down the middle. Um, and so I've been looking, I'm, I'm looking on Craigslist all the time trying to see if like, but they're so expensive, especially if they actually run. <laughs> they're, they're really expensive. So, you know, man, and say, oh, we could buy mom a V-Dub commie van. Yeah, that'd be great. And um, uh, I said, but, you know, definitely can't afford that right now. She said, I know. She's... She said, she said, but maybe we could like stop serving God for a while, save up money, buy the commie van, and then go serve God again. <laughs> so it's almost like, I don't know if she thinks that we're poor because we're serving God. I don't know. But um, <laughs> it's funny, the little kids' brains, man. Um, I guess that has something to do with it. But then she was like, eh, I don't know if that'd be worth it just for a V-Dub commie van. And I said, yeah, how come? She said, well, because whenever you do something, like, you should always ask if it's worth it, you know? Um, she said, like, whenever I'm at Walmart and I have $5 and I'm looking at a toy, I ask, is it worth $5? And uh, I was thinking, man, girl, that would preach. I mean, that I could preach that on Sunday. I wish some, she's eight, I wish some 38-year-old <laughs> would ask himself, is it worth it, you know? Like, yeah, I could date that guy, but is it? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I could take out that loan, but... I mean, because everything you're buying with your life, you are, you, are, you are trading something. You're giving something up for whatever it is that you're getting. And maybe asking the question, is this worth it in light of eternity? Is this worth it? Is my job, is what I'm pursuing right now, is it worth it? Um, or is this just prolonging a cycle that I've been stuck in? Um, I would encourage you, allow pressure to do its work, allow tribulation, welcome the, the stress, uh, the stress and the strain because it is stretching and it is doing something inside of you. Allow it to do something inside of you. Allow it to press you toward God. Allow it to make you call out on God. Allow it to, 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 to wreck your schedule and, and completely seek God until, until your flesh is completely dead and until you can rise with Christ. And you can say with the Apostle Paul, it's not me anymore that's living. It's Christ that's living in me. I'm not afraid of compliments uh, because they don't have any power over me. They cannot promote me and they cannot demote me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of a, of, a, of, of a process that's gone haywire because I'm not relying on a checkmark list of making sure that my life is in order. I don't have to be married by 30 or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm not afraid of that. I'm, I, am, I am submitted to Jesus Christ. So let's pray right now while we're online. Let's just go ahead and, and, and pray. Lord, we thank you for this group of people. And I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, uh, both those that are a part of City Chapel, those that are watching uh, for the first time today. I pray that you would stir up in their heart a desire um, to welcome tribulation, to welcome the stress, to welcome the pressure that you are allowing, you would not allow something into our life that is not for our good and for your glory. And so allow us to start seeing difficulty differently. Allow us to welcome the stress and, 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 and the, the tension 
that comes with that. Lord, may, may it not break us, but may it simply stretch us. May it simply create a brand new power within us that holds us together. God, we want to be used by you. We want to be uh, in your perfect will. We want to be useful in this day. Uh, we don't just want to survive. Uh, Lord, we want to be useful to you. And so do in us what you need to do in us so that you can work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.